0: So I'd like to talk a little bit about spontaneity and the relationship in our practice and in our daily lives between form and formlessness. Because here we are on retreat, where for many of you, you're learning a new form and you're learning about the way the form repeats itself day in, day out gong after gong, snowflake after snowflake. And if there is no awareness present of the nature of the form, then we can start to either have aversion to the form or we can cling to the form because it's very easy for form to get repetitive. Every time you wash the dishes, more show up. And if you're a perfectionist, this is frustrating. You wash the dishes and then your sponge is dirty. And then you have to wash the sponge, which makes the sink dirty. And this is karma. That for every action, there's a consequence. There's residue. And so one way of translating karma is creativity. What are you going to do with what you've got? So these are the conditions. This is the form. And are you able to work within the form so that you can see what the form is pointing out? Or pointing, I don't want to say pointing toward. Because it can give us the feeling that if we follow the form, we're going to get somewhere. But the, the form is pointing out something in each and every moment that we're flowing within the form. And if you don't have enough form, things get kind of lazy. Throw your jacket down, come in late. or m- Maybe that's happening already for some of you. <laughs> <laughs> Some people's first reaction in the form is to figure out right away how they're going to rebel against it. And it doesn't last very long because of karma, because you see that you rebelling against the form interrupts the flow for the sangha, for the community. And then within the form, we start to see that the practice is not separate from who we are. Just like wisdom is not separate from who you are, compassion is not separate from who you are. You can't be compassionate. In fact, there's nothing worse than hanging out with someone who's trying to be compassionate if you have a friend who's doing empathy training in their psychotherapy program it's good to not hang out with them for a little while (laughs) until they can be themselves again a wonderful poet Gary Snyder says this very well he says go ahead you be compassionate and I'll be the cab driver driving you home (laughs) <laughs> Haquin in his commentary on the Heart Sutra second last paragraph says wisdom is not separate from the Bodhisattva so you are a Bodhisattva anybody in the helping profession is a Bodhisattva Serving other people. And wisdom is not separate from your activity. Compassion is not separate from your activity. And then Hakwin says, Like beads rolling on a tray, Sudden, ready, uninhibited. Like beads rolling on a tray, Can you picture this? Like beads rolling on a tray, sudden, ready, uninhibited. Uninhibited. Like beads rolling on a tray, sudden, ready, uninhibited. Most of the time in day-to-day life, we don't experience ourselves as sudden. I have a special needs diet and I need to make espresso first thing in the morning. (laughs) And if you share a room with me, don't talk to me before that happens. Because you don't get suddenness. You get um, grogginess. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. Ready and uninhibited uninhibited. And so who you are when you're sitting here doing the practice, watching the in-breathing and watching the out-breathing, and then how you experience yourself when you flow out into the snow, and then how you experience yourself when you're alone in the forest, and then how you experience yourself when you're eating with other people, and then how you experience yourself when you're home with your teenager shouldn't be the same. <laughs> because if you're flowing. You're not the same person. And to be able to shift from one form to another form to another form to another form to, another form to meet the conditions that are arising. Pat Smith said one day, I vow to practice non-killing, and then I go to work every day and I meet the women I work with, and there's no paradox. Meeting each condition one at a time. And that's why in this practice, precepts or ethical understanding comes out of karma, not from above. You can't predetermine an ethical response because then you're caught entangled by snared in the form. And so every moment is fresh. There's nothing more invisible than the next breath. And we start to see at a very subtle level in this practice, how every moment of awareness is a moment of karma, because the way that you're noticing your experience, conditions what you're noticing in the experiment we were working with earlier today of referring sensation back to a self or not one of the things that's fascinating to notice is that when you refer your experience back to a central command Things become heavy, burdensome. And then you see how dukkha is self generated, self created. And then you see how if you don't refer what's happening back to a central command which by the way is me and mine then whatever is being noticed seems to unfold and then have room to pass away and that's the whole heart of this practice is being able to notice the places where we're most entangled with spaciousness with spaciousness, and the form is allowing that so in small moments we can see how whatever we're investing in and giving uh, density to becomes formless. It passes away and we have no idea where it goes. And that's a small moment of freedom. A moment of awakening. Of unbinding. Of extinguishing. What's extinguished? You don't get extinguished. You can't get extinguished. The unique configuration that is you can't be extinguished. Well, it can be extinguished. That's not a good goal though for this practice. (laughs) I used to practice like that, trying to kill my ego. And the ego is kind of like hydra. If you cut it off, you grow another one. But actually, you don't grow another one, you grow two. Because you grow one that is mourning the one that was lost, and one that is inflated by the fact that you lost it. Which is often called the spiritual ego. So when you have moments of stillness and then you think you're spiritual. And that's not spontaneity. That's not freedom. It's just another superimposition by the eye-maker, by the commentator. So Hawkman says, wisdom is not separate from you like beads rolling on a tray, sudden, ready, uninhibited. And then he says, what a shame to draw a snake and add a leg. What a shame to draw a snake and add a leg. Has anybody here ever practiced calligraphy? You know that when you practice calligraphy, if you try and draw a snake and there's no flow, you get a leg. You get like a line and then like a blotch. If you work with watercolors, it's the same way, right? You try and get a good smooth line. And if you don't become that line, then you get a blotch, you get a leg. So you watch the inhale without adding anything. Some of you are not adding a leg, you're adding like arms, a whole brain, and then it's walking away. So you're doing sitting meditation and the papancha is going for a walk in the woods. And then there's no spontaneity. So Dogen had the same question. He said, if everything is already intimately related with everything else, then why practice? And he went from monastery to monastery. Why practice? If everybody is already inherently awake, why practice? Well, you come on a retreat like this in the form, and you start to understand. Because we can't shift moment to moment. Because the persona blocks the shifting. The social persona, the collective persona, the consumer persona, the family persona, the mother persona, the child persona. Carl Jung says there's nothing wrong with a persona as long as you have lots of them. (laughs) To shift moment to moment, non-stop flow. And so Dogen was sitting just like you're sitting. And the person next to him was falling asleep. So some of you sit like this too. (laughs) It's called the monk's dance. (laughs) Some people are really into it. They spend a lot of time cultivating the monk's dance. And um, the teacher came over and just said to the person beside him, "Drop away body and mind." And right away, Dogen woke up. He woke up. What do we mean by woke up? He woke up out of, out of the stiffness that comes. From identifying with every single commentary and idea living in a kind of virtual reality. He woke up from that and he he followed the teacher afterwards into the teacher's room and says, and said, body and mind has dropped away. Mind and body has dropped away. This doesn't mean you leave your body. It's exactly the opposite. You don't leave anything. Don't we want to leave the body? How can, how can enlightenment or awakening include menstrual cramps? (laughs) And hot flashes. and migraine headaches and hip pain. Because we enter into that. We become that completely, but not naively. So I think what happens is some of you start to have experiences of stillness or of intimacy with snow and with water and with the feeling of being supported by other people who drive you crazy. And then we can't shift and we say things like I'm doing this practice, but I don't know how to bring it out into my life. I don't really get the connection. And we don't get the connection because mind is not dropping away. We sense the snake and then we add a leg. And what's the leg? The leg is the notion, the mental formation that occurs following formal practice that creates this idea that we have to carry exactly this feeling out into the dinner table tomorrow night. And if you try and sit at the dinner table Eating like you eat here. <laughs> with a five year old, they're gonna throw their bowl at you. Because you're not present. It's, it's, it's like presence and drag. It's artificial. It's a costume. It's a costume. It's not spontaneous. So how you are with your five year old, shouldn't be how you are when you're in front of a room talking about spontaneity. So the form is helping, the form is helping us wake up out of the meaninglessness that starts to happen when we're always operating out of our habit energies, out of our preferences. And by now, even though we've only been here for a couple of days, you can start to see where you're holding on. Where even though maybe you're recognizing impermanence contingency, conditionality, maybe you're still holding on to something. What is it that you're holding on to? And then you can feel how as you start to contract around something, then then the feeling of lightness and Inhibition is just squeezed by the clinging. And then you can't be yourself. So there's nothing to gain. There's nowhere to get to. And to recognize where that's difficult to swallow. This is a practice of renunciation. Of letting go. Shedding over and over and over. When you're staying with the patterning of the breath, you're not getting somewhere with it. What it's actually doing is (coughs) creating the conditions for letting go. And as you've probably noticed, you can't let go of anything. Sometimes I try and let go of something, and it lasts for about 30 seconds. Because there's still a kind of holding in letting go. In fact, too much focus on letting go can become a kind of aversion. Patigaha, the mind that condemns things, striking against things. So what we actually come to see in stillness is that letting go is not something you do. All you're doing is using enough form so that you can see how letting go happens all by itself. (coughs) There's nobody breathing, and there's nobody letting go. Because it was never yours in the first place. In other words, when you're aware of what it is that you're starting to contract around, because awareness is present, the contraction can't operate so efficiently. We've talked about this before, the way that clinging doesn't work so well when awareness is around. When awareness is present, clinging is not efficient. And the glue, or, or what lubricates clinging, is storytelling. Storytelling. So you you can't have a lot of clinging unless there's some investment and the investment is, is a me that's invested. And when we see that from a place of stillness it can't keep operating and it starts to fall apart. And then we can watch how then we go to something else. What a shame to draw a snake and add a leg, to be here in this, on this incredible land at this time of year, and to walk for even five minutes and miss it. Sometimes we chant together, life and death are of supreme importance. Time passes swiftly and opportunity is lost. Let us awaken. And do you remember the last line? Don't squander your life. So, practice and daily life are interdependent. They flow into one another. They depend on one another. The daily life category, which doesn't actually exist, right? I mean, if you, you get off this, this cushion and you get into your car and you say, oh, now I'm in daily life. And, and, but before the mind does that, there's no separation. But if you do make the separation, if you do make the category, which is helpful, then you see that you need the stuff of daily life to do the formal practice. It's what's motivating you. You come to sit, and you realize you can't even sit still. And all the daily life karma is what motivates you to do the practice. The frustration is motivating Oh, I need to practice. And then the practice flows back into the daily life in ways that you probably don't even recognize. And this is karma. Because the way you walk, and the way you speak, and the way you see and hear and smell has an effect. What you do matters. How you speak and how you listen make a difference. In the mind, in the body, and in the body politic. Inhaling without adding anything. Exhaling without adding anything. And at some level, the commentator recognizes that if you don't add anything, it's going to be out of a job. And so it freaks out and it tries to do whatever it can to stay open And so it then creates a commentary about the absence of the commentary. And then you notice that. And guess what? It never ends. Once in a while, once in a while, you will have deep experiences without language. But it's temporary. Because you're a human being and our experience internally and externally is refracted and communicated through language. So don't make language the enemy, or thinking the enemy, or pain the enemy. So practice and daily life, they flow into one another. They support each other. Because when you come here on retreat, the paradox is that in practice, it's all the residue of daily life that you're working with. But at the same time, this is life. Sudden ready, uninhibited, shifting, spontaneous, unrehearsed. Doing this practice really badly, really well. And this is where you can settle all of the doubts and the aversions and the worry and the anxiety and the sadness and the loneliness, just allowing it to settle here in each and every moment, just like the snow is settling. So this is what the form is doing, it's hugging you, it's supporting you, it's nourishing you, so that you can see that you don't practice, you don't get enlightened, you don't become compassionate, you stop becoming. and recognize that these are all qualities that are essential to you already. And people keep telling you this, and you keep looking somewhere else. Maybe some of you are already thinking about how much you like it here, and how you're going to go on a retreat can't wait to get on a retreat. <laughs> maybe, I think I'm actually going to sign up for a retreat with Norman.
1: <laughs> or
0: with my, maybe Norman and Michael are going to re- get together and do a retreat that I can sign up for. So how to enter into the body by breaking through your image of your body. When we say body, we're not talking about the body in relationship to image. Just the feeling tone of bodiness. This is how it is. And how much freedom there is in that. So don't try to imagine Daily life as being some kind of bliss out or as the purpose of meditation as some kind of constant eternal peace. Because then you, you kill the practice because you don't allow what's arising to arise because it's over-conceptualized. You've added a leg. Or you're trying to get a leg up on the practice by overthinking it. And nobody else can do it for you. Some of you have struggled with some things already in the past couple of days, and you've moved through it, even if it's such a small victory, like overcoming fear about being on a retreat. And nobody did that for you. So to embrace all of what's arising and to embrace yourself. Cause you actually exist. But you exist in intimate relationship with everything else. Just like the tree exists as a tree and each tree is unique. But the roots of those trees are all entangled. They're dependent on the earth, dependent on water, dependent on the elements. And in this moment, knowing the tree is dependent on the body, on the sense basis. just like your unique characteristics are uniquely you. But your roots are interlinked with everything else. So there's non-duality and duality, singularity and the infinite, trees and the earth, Waves and water. Every wave is a unique expression. No two waves are the same. But yet they're all water. (coughs) Singularity, oneness. (coughs) So when you experience moments of intimacy, moments of stillness, moments of oneness, those moments then give rise to singularity again. Because they have to be expressed through you. And you're not me. And you shouldn't be one with cars, because you'll get run over. (laughs) So, as there's difference, there's also intimacy. And the breath is like this. Every breath is like a wave rolling in. Swell of the inhale. Current of the exhale. One after another. And each one is fresh. Each one is unique. And physiologically, When we do the formal practice and pay attention to one breath swell at a time, one at a time, at a deep, deep level, the body is organized to really open to arising and passing away. And if you can't get that at that real feeling level, then it's going to be quite difficult to try and do that with thoughts. To try and do that with anger. To try and do that with doubt. It's its hard to really watch arising and passing away of doubt. Unless you've got some technique. And the technique comes with this simple awareness of inhaling and exhaling. And what's interesting is just inhaling and exhaling is an expression of who you are. And sometimes you struggle with that. But over time, it gives rise to the freedom to be nobody. The freedom of unbecoming. (coughs) The freedom to be no one. And this is the form. And then you see how you can set up your daily life also through renunciation and intention. And continued seamless spontaneous practice in every condition. One of the most difficult retreats I ever attended was when Arlen, our son, was a year and a half. His nose was plugged up and he couldn't breathe through his nose. And so when he was, he couldn't sleep because he couldn't breathe through his mouth sleeping. He had to breathe through his nose to sleep. So he couldn't sleep. So Michelle and I stayed up a whole night fighting with each other. Because that's what you do when you're exhausted. Arguing. And then we decided, this is crazy. And then she said, okay, well I'm going to go to sleep. You hang out with Arlen. then when I wake up, so we started doing shifts, it wasn't working. Cause I'd be trying to be with him and I'd be just so tired, you know. So then we had this idea, let's make this a retreat. <laughs> <laughs> okay? So this went on for almost three days. And if you've ever been with a one and a half year old who hasn't slept for more than two nights, the breath is easy. friends would call and say could we bring you anything do you need some soup or something we'd say well we've run out of incense (laughs) and so we'd light incense close the door lock the door didn't answer the phone lit candles and it was our practice over and over So you create the form. What changed? Nothing changed. He was still not sleeping. Michel and I were still not sleeping. But what changed was the intention. The viewpoint shifted. And this is the spontaneity. Uninhibited. So the inhale arises and we meet it, ready, uninhibited. Isn't this interesting what the universe is presenting? Pain in the hip joint. Or joy. Isn't this interesting? And it's to this that we give our attention. whether things are pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Spontaneous expression of practice, or the spontaneous arising of freedom. because of impermanence, because of death, life is precious. And when we're not being ourselves, we're squandering our life. Because we can't serve others, Because we're exhausted by all the energy it takes to keep our commentaries going and to try and manufacture our lives in a way so that it fits our need to have things go the way we need them to go. Manufactured outer landscapes, manufactured inner landscapes. And when you learn how to leave the breath alone, then you can learn how to leave the pain alone and let it be, and how to leave the earth alone, how to leave rivers alone, how to leave your kids alone, how to leave your parents alone. Not alone, connoting loneliness, but the intimacy that arises when you can let things be as they are without putting your stamp on everything. like beads rolling on a tray. Sudden, ready, uninhibited. If you would like to walk inside, you can walk inside. If you'd like to walk outside, I encourage walking outside. If you want to sit, you can sit. For the next period until dinner. Shifting, shifting, shifting. If you're going to sit, take a couple of minutes and just stretch or stand up before we sit.